hello, hello, Detroit in the world. Welcome to another episode of Authentically Detroit, broadcasting live from the Audio Wave Network Studios here on Detroit's Lower East Side, powered by the East Side Community Network. I'm Orlando Bailey. And I'm Donna Givens. Thank you for rocking with us yet again. We want you to like and subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. Remember, we drop a new EP every other Tuesday like hotcakes so be sure to like and subscribe and not only do that share share a podcast if you're feeling it thank you so much to all of the listeners who have been showing us so much love on all of the socials we see you and we appreciate it hey Donna hey Orlando how are you I'm good how was your weekend well it's all about the African World Festival this weekend right proud to be black I know it was such black excellence wasn't it yes oh we look good too didn't we oh beautiful Beautiful. Oh, we were so gorgeous down there. Yes. And at the Charles H. Wright, it's, I, I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it. Got some beads and bought some stuff. I got these earrings I have the on earring. right now. I got a lot of earrings. Yeah, hey, I like necklace. it. Got some jewelry. Uh, I met a black female chemist who uh, has... A, a company called U Melanin. It's an U Melanin is an actual scientific term, and she was able to. She had a diagram of what melanin looks like in like DNA or something like that in our skin cells. It was sweet, and that's the logo. And on the back of the hat that I purchased, it had melanin. I'm like, this is so just amazing. She has a store in Fairlane, I believe. Wow. I can't remember her name though. But shout out to you. Shout out to you. I was out of I was out all last week. I was in ATL. That was so much fun. I had to move my little cousin into her apartment. She's a sophomore at Clark Atlanta. And you know, moving is always fun. Uh, that's that's one things. of the words for it, right? Yeah. Fun. Fun. Got to meet got to hang out with her little boyfriend. She got a boyfriend down there. He's a he's a student at Morehouse. I don't like him, but you know she likes him. You can't tell him much, can you? Can't. Oh, you can't tell him about man. Nothing, (laughs) nothing. But you know, it was it was fun. It was cute. Drove back, got in late Friday, and um, and you still made it out to the festival. Yeah, for a little bit. Not 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 long at all, but just a little bit. And I also made it out Saturday morning to Detroit Hives. Oh, I was at Detroit Hives, and so I have a lifelong fear of bees. I was stung. I was you. You remember the movie My Girl? Mm. With you remember Macaulay Culkin, Thomas J. No. I was Thomas J. When I was younger, I got stung by an entire hive in the fifth grade on the playground. I would never forget it. It was such a traumatic experience for me. And so I have been definitely afraid of bees. And Timothy and Nicole have been trying to get me out for the longest time. And they had a slot open Saturday morning. And it took me a while, but I got the 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 garb and dread the protective gear on. And it was actually beautiful to see the honeybees working and doing their thing. I got to pull up a hive, taste honey from the. It was it was really sweet. Well, shout out to them because um, you know you don't think about the importance of bees to our whole you know that our whole our whole ecosystem ecosystem is what I was searching for. Yeah, think about the importance of them because bees are a nuisance, but when they're gone. 
Um, they're not producing important things. And who doesn't like honey? I love honey. Mm-hmm. And they explain so the entire process as to why bees are important and, you know, the purpose that they serve. Black beekeepers in the city of Detroit. Shout out to them. I know, them. right? I never amazing. met a black beekeeper before I met those two. Well, and, and it's just so impressive that they decided to do it and that um, a lot of us... Um, especially young people are just using brilliance in all different types of ways and introducing us to things we never really considered. Before. Did you know they were on the east side? Well, yeah, they're on they're on the east side. They're on East Warren, just east of Cadillac. They're right there. They right. they uh, reclaimed a vacant lot uh, uh, along East Warren and really turned it into. I'm trying to say the word right, an apiary. That's well, what they know, call it. You know, they came it. on yeah. one of our tours. Yeah, yeah. And I had an opportunity to speak to them. Really nice people, as yeah. well as brilliant, but also nice, good people. Yeah. Um, strong residents in our community. Yes. Um, just another way that people don't always look at the greatness on Detroit's east side. Yes. Or in Detroit at all. You better you better know it. You better know it. Donna, <laughs> what else did you do this weekend? Well, um, Let's see. Luna, my granddaughter, I was grandmother again. She's That's so always fun. When you I were get grandmother some, It's always great when I get to spend time with Luna and family <laughs> and all the good stuff. So, you know, I'm um, actually completing a move and spending time with extended family. So it's all good. Moving is always stressful. Yes. So it's always good to have family to come and you know, hang out, especially that that grandchild. Of, I love that grandchild of yours. Mm-hmm. We just connected the first time we met. We just had a connection. You missed her in the office on Friday. Oh, man. She hung out? She hung out. Oh, she hung wow. Out. She had Morris actually play, <laughs> playing with her, giggling. I was like, what is wrong with this? I've guy? never seen Morris right? giggling exactly. and everything. <laughs> Morris is always just so serious and straight to the point. That's we, great. We've got a couple of... Um, Men in our um, office who are real men, right? right? They they don't play. They don't and play. Morris is one of them, so it was really good having her up there in the office, and um, just a good weekend. Yeah, overall beautiful weather for the most yeah. part until it rained, and I guess you're going to talk about that. I am. So it's time for fresh off the press news that we are thinking about. This is our commentary on news items relevant to the city of Detroit. If you have news items that you want us to cover, you can send them to authenticallydetroit at gmail.com or hit us up on our socials at authenticallydetroit. So 14,000 people without power after thunderstorms causes two waves of outages. So we had some thunderstorms this past Sunday. Um, as of 9 a.m. to uh, Monday morning, 14,000 residents were still without power. Uh, Detroit uh, Edison. Oh, I said Detroit Edison. Why well, haven't said that in a long time? DTE <laughs> is predicting that the power will be on uh, late Monday evening. Donna, it seems to me that these power outages and these weather events are way more frequent than I remember growing up. Yeah. I don't remember the power always. Being, I mean, what's going on? Well, you know, I mean, it's extreme weather, but it's also, um, that's a good question. And it's interesting to me that um, Consumers Energy also had a power outage. Yes. But by um, the end of Sunday, by this morning, they, they were down to 640, 640 people without people. power. Mm-hmm. And DTE still had 14,000. Mm-hmm. And DTE, didn't they just get a new pay hike? And aren't yeah. they asking for another? Yeah. And um, so we pay some of the highest costs for electricity in the nation. Mm-hmm. 
and we have one of the slowest response times from our electric company in the nation. When there are out of outages, yes. So what are they investing outages. in? What are yeah, we need we need somebody in here from DTE. Let's talk. Well because we, I, we, we need somebody in here from DTE, but I'm not interested in propaganda, so we need to balance that out with somebody who actually researches it yeah. and can speak their language because sometimes I just don't, you know, it goes over my head. And ask some real questions. I think there's questions around uh, climate resilience, questions around clean energy, and questions around infrastructure, the, the infrastructure that has been laid here in the city of Detroit. It's, it's not holding up. Every time there is a weather event, whether it's significant rain or storms, we wound up with thousands of people yet again out of power, and I'm in my little white car trying to take ice to people so their um, their freezers and stuff can stay cold and they don't lose the food that they've purchased for the week. It's really something. So if the Public Service Commission would somehow look at the numbers, look at what we're paying, look at what they're charging us, and then look at how slowly we get service, we might actually have a commission that represents us. Mm. But it feels as though so much of the state government has been under the um, eye of the... Um, Republican Party and mm -hmm. so many of the commissions have been stacked, the mm -hmm. decks have been stacked mm -hmm. so that we don't really have yeah. representation mm -hmm. on these commissions. And I'm hoping to see some change over time now that we have a Democratic governor. Yeah. What's also interesting is that it's, it's a stark difference in response time. Uh, consumers Energy lost about 15,000 people. The Free Press is reporting that Consumers Energy experienced 15,000 outages after Sunday's storm, but as of Monday morning, they only needed to restore power to 640 residents. So what what best practices are they employing that DTE ain't picking up yet? Well, and all over the nation, because, again, we don't have the worst weather in the nation. Yeah. But we have the slowest response time. <laughs> so I just want to understand what's going on. Yeah. So right. more on that to come. Donna, fresh off the press. <laughs> Oh, what is my story? Fresh off the press, Detroit shut off water to 11,800 homes this year. And um, there are many who are still out. Mm. So water shutoffs in the city of Detroit. Bridge Magazine is reporting this. Uh, Joe Kurt from uh, Bridge Magazine uh, ran something today that was actually really shocking that you wanted to talk about Donna in that almost a little over what 500 five excuse me 5,000 Detroit homes occupied homes are currently without water in the city of Detroit yeah that's the estimate and in the month of August the hottest month on record you had um, many homes 4,000 some homes without water at that time mm. and so when you start talking about climate resiliency and you look at the impact on health of the individual and the quality of life, that's um, devastating. Um, you, we have programs, and it's great to say we have programs, but when you know that you have poor people and you know that you have seniors and people without the resources and ability to access those programs, it seems as though cutting off the water should be the absolute last resort. We know for something like non-payment, for non-payment in a city that had that is well be living well below the poverty line with an area median income of twenty six thousand dollars, the area median income for the nation is around forty something. Right. We're significantly below and that. We have po we have pockets in our community where twenty six thousand dollars is aspirational. That's oh, a good job. You, you better okay? say it. You better we say have it. pockets in our community where people are really living in such a way that they can't afford water. Yeah, water is not affordable. It's actually water. The water part 
is affordable is the sewage that's not the drainage, affordable. The drainage, yeah. And the drainage charge is um, really not as devastating as the sewage, but both of those together um, are really infrastructure costs that are being borne by rate payers. Mm. We have rate payers paying for water infrastructure in our city and making it very difficult for poor people. You can put poor person on a payment plan, but does a payment plan make sense? The average bill is $75 a month. Mm-hmm. And so now if I have a payment plan, I can just pay $15, say, a month in addition to my normal bill. So instead of me not being able to afford $75 a month, now I can't afford $90 a month. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And, of course, some homes have leaky plumbing and it needs to be repaired. But you have homes that are paying a lot more than $75 a month due to um, leaky old faucets. Yeah, and, toilet, um, running toilets. Toilets are running. Yeah. And sometimes the landlord is responsible for replacing and repairing all of that. And mm-hmm. families are at their mercy and cannot afford to make the repairs themselves. So where is the mercy in that? And then the other question, and this always comes to mind whenever I look at water shutoffs, is um, how would you feel if you were sitting in a room with people and you knew, and I'm not saying this to, um, you know, to create shame, but Mm -hmm. you knew somebody in that room did not have running water in their Mm -hmm. home. Would that be the person you want to sit next to? Mm -hmm. It's a hygiene hazard. It's a public health hazard. Because that's a public health thing. Look at what indoor plumbing did to eliminate diseases. Whole classes of diseases no longer are present in America because of indoor plumbing, which wiped them out. Yeah, It should never be optional. And so if we can have a system where people can't pay. Now, I know the city of Detroit looks at a Supreme Court case i think it's bolt versus something or another Mm -hmm. where you cannot set rates they say based on ability to pay you have to base it on the degree of service but i would love to see somebody from our city go to the state and fight that and um, really talk about changing the constitution we've changed the constitution on some matters why aren't we changing the constitution on that it just feels as though there's a little bit of a laziness to the way that we are managing some systems that we know are broken, whether it is tax foreclosures or water shutoffs, where the government says, well, our hands are tied. We have no choice but to do this. But your hands aren't tied when your public officials are fighting to untie their hands. Yeah, I think I think uh, what Joel was able to do in his article in Bridge uh, was put a face and a name to uh, these water shutoffs. I think we consistently talk about the economic argument around this issue, but I just want to read a, a, a really compelling um, uh, seg- uh, paragraph that that's in the article that ran in Bridge. The records underscore misery that Sherry Welch said she knows well. The 50-year-old who lives on Detroit's east side said she's subsisted on bottled water and rainwater collected from her roof for three years. Disabled after a car crash in the 1990s, the former video store owner said she lives on $790 per month Social Security check and can't afford plumbing repairs to restore city water after it was disconnected in 2016. The water line to her home was damaged during a winter storm. She said she is estimated the cost upward of $5,000 to repair. Because of her injuries, Dr. Warnick is carrying more than a gallon of milk, but Welch says she regularly hauls five-gallon jugs of water to survive. These are There are people behind these numbers, and I think that we have to remember uh, be behind 
um, every number behind every economic argument, behind the public health argument that there are people who are living this life every single day trying to figure out how to make do without water in their homes. Cutting off people's water should be an absolute last and, resort. And there are children who face removal to foster care because yes. you are required, you required to provide water and not live in a home without plumbing with your children. So if you fight it and you go public and you say, and that's the reason why they have a senior citizen featured and not a mother with small children featured because mothers are absolutely afraid to show their faces and be named. And that yes. is an absolute Oof. travesty as though our child care system is not already flooded with children in foster care to increase that is just ridiculous. Mm. So, um, I'm all for saying, let's rethink our systems. Why are we charging for water anyway in the way that we do? Water is not a commodity. Water is a natural resource. You need it to live. You need it to be healthy. And you need it to maintain public health. Yeah. One of the things that's not mentioned here, mm -hmm. um, and is, I guess, debatable. Some people say it's not true. But I've heard some people I really trust and respect talk about the public health impact of having standing water in homes where the water is shut off yeah. and how that impacts the health of people all around them. And then the final thing I'm going to say is that there are so many people, residents that you and I know, who live on blocks where there's running water in basements and vacant homes next to them, and the city is sending people out to shut off the water of non paying customers, but the water in some of these homes continues to run. Continue to run, And yeah. um I've talked to residents who said that that means that sometimes there's an odor in the homes and they're worried about disease festering in the pools of water found mm -hmm. in the basements of vacant homes. And so I think that really, if you really want to say, how should we spend our resources, if we could just stop um, leaks and, and some of the things that are happening, whether it's the water mains breaking and gushing into the street, unrelenting for months while nobody can find a, a fix for that. Why don't we focus on fixing the broken parts of our systems where water is wasted? Yeah, we waste a lot of water. Mm. We do, just because of um, a lack of, I think, understanding of how to make those fixes because yeah. it's going to be expensive. And my understanding is there were a lot of people who used to know, have knowledge, institutional knowledge was changed when there were people who were fired and laid off. Everything is going to be expensive, though. I, everything is expensive. Right. So we find we find the money for the things we want to find the money for. We sure do in our city, right? Don't we? How much money was spent assembling land for the Fiat Chrysler expansion? You tell me, Donna. It was over $200 million assembling land and preparing land. And that was not future tax dollars. That was actual dollars that we spent. How many um, buildings were purchased and sold, land purchased and sold in the process? And there was this belief that there was a future economic benefit. Right. And so I wonder if the only measuring stick we have is new jobs and um, the gross national product. Or are there, is there a measuring stick that says people are well taken care of and live healthy, long lives inside of this community? Hmm. Because behind all of these stories, you know that there is a difference in life expectancy among people who drink water and have running water in their homes and people who do not. And in some neighborhoods, the life expectancy difference, we'll have to find that article and bring it out another time, is sharp. Mm -hmm. A sharp life expectancy difference just based on public policy. Yes. Things we control. 
Well, more on that to come. <laughs> Fresh off the press. <laughs> Not really, but we, we, you know, we we release a new episode every other week, so we had to cover this. Arthur Jemison to lead Detroit's planning as city names public health officer, workforce director, and other management changes. Cranes is reporting, and you you get the bell because I think we're happy about Arthur Jemison uh, being. Uh, uh, nominated to uh, or assigned, um, excuse me, to lead as planning director um, in the city. Uh, that's such good news as Mr. Cox takes the uh, head job for uh, the city of Chicago. So Arthur Jimison is going to move into that role as well as retain his group executive status over uh, infrastructure and housing and planning and things like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm right. super pumped for that. Well, the changes are going to not just have him take on planning mm -hmm. and HRD, which he's been doing, yeah. but I think what the changes are also going to do is relieve him of some of the bureaucratic management that he's had so he can focus on an integrative approach to redeveloping our mm, neighborhoods. Yeah. And um, integration matters, integrative approach where you say you cannot redevelop a, a neighborhood without housing. And what I found is that he's been very receptive to the concerns and complaints of the community, even when he doesn't fix them. What you have is a public servant who clearly cares and, and wants listens. to do the right thing, listens, responds, comes out with new policy. And the people who work under his direct leadership seem to really love working for him and have a high level of morale. And these are people who really connect with residents in the city. So I'm excited about the change. Yeah. I'm not going to be shy about that. We can yeah, spend all the time we want complaining about public officials. But anytime somebody can come to the meetings that we hold, listen to the community, um, accept the attacks and actually respond because they're not really attacks, they're criticisms. I don't yeah. want to characterize the critiques. them. Yep. The critiques, because people should have the right to criticize government, right? Uh, right. And just because I'm ringing that bell does not mean the criticisms are over. I'm going right. to have some criticisms for Arthur Jemison, but here's what I understand and truly believe is that in criticizing him, he will listen, respond, and actually care about the message more than the messenger. Yeah, and, and, it, and, it, and it resonates. Um, we're excited uh, here on the east side to have the opportunity to... Uh, work with Mr. Arthur Jemison and some planning activities that we uh, will have going on in the very near future. So stay tuned with that. Also, congratulations to uh, Nicole Sherrod Freeman, who is going to be the new executive director of Workforce Development, and Denise Fair, who's going to be our public health officer. So congratulations. Yes, and apparently Sheila Clay is coming back to Workforce Development, coming yeah. out of retirement. So congratulations. Wow, that was short. Sheila that was a for, short retirement. Well, you know, she um, retired herself, and I can understand that because I cannot imagine ever enjoying life as much on the sidelines as I do in the thick of it. <laughs> and she's, you know, a relatively young woman with a lot to offer. Yeah. Congratulations to all of that black excellence. We're excited for you guys. Yes, Congrats. we are. Um, fresh off the press. Ugh. The Michigan Attorney General is to investigate the conduct of a Royal Oak police officer. And this is the Detroit Free Press reporting. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to um, talk about this in two segments. First of all, can we talk about Dana Nessel for a minute? Yeah. Okay, that's the good part. Our Attorney General. Dana, Dana Nessel, like, you just have feel like you have a, an Attorney General who's fighting for you. you got an advocate. I'm just really mad about things that are going on. I was absolutely outraged over the entire story that this man got stopped by the police for looking at a white woman. I mean, it's... it's <laughs> you can't look at white women. I, 
I, I, I have no words. It was so ridiculous for him to be first oh of gosh. all stopped and detained. There's an absolute ridiculousness to that. You think he might be doing something. You think he was just looking at you. He may have taken and a photograph. It was ridiculous. And um, but Dana Nessel is looking at it, and the um, police officers are just ridiculous in their response. It um, criminalizing blackness, and that's what it really is. Um, criminalizing white fears is what it is or it's not or legitimizing, legitimizing white, fear. white fears and criminalizing people to um, support white fears is just unacceptable in our community it turns out that he was just circling to see if she was going to leave her parking spot you know how it is trying to find parking in a busy segment of town and you really you you circle i i know i do i circle blocks People all day that all and wait for folks all, and, and ask i'm like you leaving <laughs> it's just it's ridiculous and so the royal oak police department um uh released a statement saying that the supervisor who was uh first to respond will receive uh training as to how he handled uh, that situation and the police chief apologized to um, what's the guy's name his name was his last name is Myers the black the guy who the police was called on what was his name I want Devin Myers okay yeah. that's his name uh, they uh, they released an official apology to him and how he was treated and said that it should have been a very short encounter with police but it was extended when the first responding officer insisted on getting the man's identification and it wasn't just one officer this is the other thing that that really that really kills me and it really gets on my nerves is that when we when cops it seems that especially suburban cops when they tend to deal with black folks it's it was four officers and i think that i have a different take on this than just about everybody um, because I don't think he should have ever been approached. Mm -hmm. I think if somebody says, this person is circling the block looking at me, and I see that person walking in a restaurant, and I observe them not committing a crime, I'm going to let them continue not <laughs> committing a crime. He was walking If, if you observe a crime in progress, that's one thing. Observing a suspicion is another. I think every black person I know, and certainly I have been, guilty i have been subject to that i remember i used to work for the public interest research group of michigan they dropped us off in these suburban communities and um i went door to door trying to convince people to put money in some fund to support some radical idea and um police were following me through the neighborhood i was a 21 year old young woman mm -hmm. and police followed me through this all-white neighborhood I remember when I worked at Big Brothers Big Sisters and I had a staff person who um, lived in Sterling Heights and she invited me to a garage sale at her house. So I was going to support her and I got there on time. Turns out she was late. Mm -hmm. So I waited for her and the police came. Yep, they pulled up. They pulled up. What yep. are you doing here? Why can't I sit in this woman's driveway? You cannot convince me that sitting in her driveway require police action somebody saw me somebody called and it is the persistent threat of having police surveil you when you are in these communities that is problematic it is not just how long they kept him it's the fact they stopped him at all because of a suspicious look if i called the police right now and said a white man was looking at me funny do you think the police would come mm -hmm. no i don't i really don't it it it, it, it just it just reeks uh, back in the 1950s, the story of Emmett Till, 
right? Of course it does. Um, and is I I can't believe this is still happening. Yeah. I can't believe this is still happening. It is. It's sometimes it is so exhausting to be a man and to be black uh, in this society. It, it's exhausting. These are the things that we have to worry about. Uh, in, a, in addition to making sure that we are operating so that we don't get killed. We, this is stuff that we have to pass on to our children. We have to have conversations. I have a little cousin who's like a nephew to me who's headed to high school and who would be driving soon. The conversations that elders and adults have to have with young black men when they get behind the wheel of a car is astonishing to me, but it's our reality. I had a it was it was almost like a I don't know if it was a rites of passage, but an in service when I started driving from my parents as to how to conduct myself behind the wheel of a car, and it had nothing to do with my style of driving. Yes, officer, smile when you see them. Don't look them in the eye. These are the Keep conversations we the have to have. Yeah, that you tell people never argue with a police officer. Always agree. Yeah. Always say thank you. Yeah. You know, and these are things that are so subconscious that you don't even think about it, even yeah. when you've done nothing wrong. Yeah. Nothing wrong. Don't we lived in East Inga's Village, and so we take uh, Mac Avenue uh, very frequently on my way home. And for those of you on the east side, you all know Mac Avenue really well, especially east of Alter when the south side of the street is Gross Point Park and the north side of the street is the city of Detroit. And uh, coming home from college, very often I was driving um, a, a Monte Carlo Supersport. It was my very first car. My parents purchased it for me. It was a nice car, really nice car, sporty looking car. And I would get stopped all the time and get asked who the car belonged to all the time. Wow. All the time. And one at one point, the, I think it was one of the very last times I got stopped um, in that vehicle. I, I was I became irate and belligerent and it was dangerous thinking of it. But I'm a 19 year old kid who's tired of being stopped by police for absolutely nothing. And uh, the way that the officer handled it, I thought he handled it poorly. I handled it poorly. Can you afford a ticket if I give you? T I say, yeah, give me the ticket. Let's, you know. And uh, I went home and, and just, you know, just sat there seething in anger that, you know, wow, this this really is true. We can't have nice cars. Uh, a couple Saturdays ago, my significant other was driving to meet me when I was in the process of move on Mac. He got stopped by a black Detroit police officer who got mad that he drove by him without deferring to him because you saw me. I was a police officer. You just kept on going. You thought that was funny, huh? And he told him off and I know because I was on the phone listening to this <laughs> wow. and detained him for an hour Yeah, for basically nothing and so I think that it is not just um, white police officers on black men it mm -hmm. is sometimes black police officers also on black men it is police using force against black men to um, contain the behavior of black men yeah. and to um, do certain things. There's a book I'm reading called Chokehold that really talks about the police state and the treatment of black men in the police state. And it's really troubling because I don't think that 
it is, again, just one type of police officer. Sometimes you can find black police officers being just as hard on mm, black absolutely. men or harder on black men to prove themselves than white police officers because it really starts with the conceptualization of who is a black man in society. And black men, white men, black women, white women sometimes have this shared belief about what black men are. Mm -hmm. And so that's the reason why when Trayvon Martin first came along and everything happened, some people really were, some of your respectability types really were saying, well, if he just took the hoodie off, everything would be okay. Oh, my gosh. And so we've come a long way Ugh. as a community at um, pushing back against some of those narratives. Yes, we but have to, But the reality to, is Ugh. that Detroit police officers, um, some of the most murderous Detroit police officers have been black men. Um, there was one named Eugene Brown, I believe, mm -hmm. who I don't know if you're familiar with him. Keep talking. Look I think him up. I, I think I know about he him. He had a record. They had of stories about him. They, yes, because yeah, he killed yeah. multiple people. Yeah. Um, when my former hairdresser's son was brutalized at a gas station um, by some um, police officers, and it was not just one race. So I think that you have to look at policing, period. And then I think you also have to look at the racial aspects that may or may not just be carried out by white police officers. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we have called out this problem. We have called out this issue. We would continue to provide commentary on it. But uh, before we move on, I just want to spend a moment and affirm anybody who's had black men, black women or anyone who has had these types of encounters with police. You uh, you are not alone. Uh, you have advocates who love you and are fighting for you and keep living. Don't let this keep you from living and don't let this keep you angry. Keep and, living and have your joy. Take and this your is joy. why we kneel, Jay-Z. This is why we <laughs> still kneel. Oh, she went there. This is why we kneel. She went there. Doesn't matter who performs. If Rihanna's oh, at the Super Bowl, we still need to kneel. God. So you want to talk about that? or well, take, you, a minute, I mean, take a minute. I okay. mean, listen. I get oh. it. You're a billionaire. You're not a businessman. You're a businessman. I get that, oh. right? I get that your presence is a charity, and that's all cool. You're all that. When you walk in the room, you are a gift. Your presence is a gift. I understand mm. your, you know, macho. I understand your provider. I understand your sense of self that you are all that. So you be you. But when you have the nerve to go in there and try to stop a movement, with the contracts you signed with the NFL, that's completely out of line. Do you think that was his intention to stop that he movement? He said the time for kneeling is over. It's We're time for action. To, it's time for actionable things, and the actionable things are cut me a check, and I'll put artists on my, you know, in my whatever you... Sphere uh, of influence. It's my sphere of influence. I will empower myself, and it is all about him. I, I'm actually interested. about those people. Mm. You say what movements? Movements are never about individuals. Movements yeah. are about a group of people. Yes, that's what Colin was, was kneeling for. Colin but he became the face of that movement. He was the face of a movement that's a, comprised of so many different subgroups. Yes. People are marching in Detroit right now on behalf of people. So it is not time to start stop marching. It is not time to stop kneeling. If you don't march and you don't kneel, don't march and don't kneel. But don't tell other people to stop. I'm actually really interested to see what he does with that. I I I I I don't 
I I have strong opinions and I have feelings about this, but I want to see what he does with it. Jay-Z, I mean, looking at Jay-Z's track record around uplifting issues that he's passionate about, passionate about like mass incarceration. He just recently uh, partnered with Meek Mill, who's become a fierce advocate around criminal justice reform, who's doing, I believe, a great job. Um, he had a documentary that talked about Khalif Browder, who was falsely imprisoned at uh, Rikers um, in New York. And a year out of being in prison, he uh, committed suicide. He died of suicide. And so uh, it, it, it seems odd to me that Jay-Z was step in this direction just without a plan. He's been a quiet disruptor for it's a long his, time. That's his and right so, to be a quiet disruptor. Yeah, He can be himself. Mm-hmm. He does not have the right to delegitimize Colin Absolutely. Kaepernick. Absolutely, and that's what he did with those comments. That's what he did with those comments, and that's what he did in the whole way that thing rolled out. Do you? But Eric Reed, who's still playing who's for the still NFL, kneeling. is still being tested sometimes twice a week, yeah. sometimes twice in one day, as a means of harassing him because he is kneeling. He's afraid to drink. Um, from public he's afraid to eat any food served to him from public because somebody might drug him and one of those tests might turn up something positive so when you have somebody living under that level of stress and oppression to say say it's time to stop stop kneeling kneeling. when Eric Reed is still playing and on his knees that's not right Mm. it isn't it isn't and it's it's been the talk of the of the nation so I guess it's, it's applicable to and Detroit. And this is not this is not hate. Yeah. Hate is I don't I mind you having your billions. I don't care about him having his billions. I don't think him being a billionaire liberates anybody but himself and his family, and that's cool. I don't think that people look at him and say, "Look, I can be a billionaire too." Um, mm. I think that sometimes in our nation we have a habit of worshiping billionaires, and then we get a fake billionaire president as a result of that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't worship billionaires. I worship people who are good people. I don't really worship people. I worship God, first of all. Let me say, I worship traits that are good traits. Mm-hmm. And I think that being rich is not something admirable. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking uh, for uh, the Jay-Z quote because I want to make sure that we, we get it um, all the way all right. right. It says, uh, we've moved past kneeling. It's time to take action. That's what he said. We've Mm. moved past kneeling. (laughs) Just imagine if in his day, Harry Belafonte said, we've moved past marching. Mm -hmm. And Martin Luther King is still out there marching. Mm. It's just a mismatch. And, you know, I was told by, I think, the New York Times that... um, that he had no uh, consultation with uh, Colin Kaepernick, who's, by the way, still unemployed, um, until the Monday before the announcement. Well, he, Colin yeah. Kaepernick said he didn't have any conversation with him at all at before all? the wow. announcement. And so um, th- there's some disagreement as to dates. There's mm. some disagreement as to message. But for people who still feel very much in the thick of the battle, for the equality and justice for black men. Um, We just had a police officer fired. How many years after Eric Garner, um, after Eric Garner died, Mm -hmm. the police officer finally lost his job. Yeah, Um, that just came out today. But he couldn't breathe. We all saw it on television. Those, Those wounds run deep with us right now. Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, the the story and uh, the saga uh, continues yes, with that. Does. That's yes, that's that's really something. Wow, Woo, that's a whole lot. Um, our topic of the day and our thematic topic this week, we want to ask the question of who represents Detroit. Yes. We want to ask this question: Who represents Detroit? Um, Donna, this is something that you are uh, particularly interested um, in talking about. And this uh, thematic topic today was really um, uh, catapulted uh, by an op-ed that our uh, colleague, uh, Greg Bonds, wrote in Deadline Detroit. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll start with the headline. Yeah. Which I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt he did not write that headline. Um, a lot of times when people do commentary, the headline um, gets written to draw clicks, to draw interest by readers. And this one certainly um, drew some clicks. I'm trying to see with the headline. I don't see it on um, what uh, you shared. She, it is okay. Rashida, a congresswoman, Rashida Tlaib, has a black problem. Um, what an offensive headline. <laughs> First of all, because black people are not a monolith. And it suggests that black people are opposed to Rashida, or that's how I read the headline. Um, but in this article, he does a good job of representing um, her career and what she's doing and mm -hmm. um, does acknowledge that yeah. she's doing many things correct inside the community. Yeah. Um, I agree with all of that. Yeah, me too. Um, where I find problems is when he talks about the fact that um, the differences between black people and Arab people and the fact that black people, a lot of times, um, Detroit was an all-white and all-black city. You know, we grew up and black people don't have that much knowledge or understanding of Arab issues and that she should use her platform to educate and draw parallels between her experiences as a Palestinian woman and Palestinian oppression to black oppression. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I found that to be um, a little problematic. Mm. In what way? Yeah. Well, on the one hand, people are saying quit focus on Palestine, quit focusing on Palestinian issues, and he wants her to do what anybody who watches nightly news could do, and that is um, explain what's happening <laughs> in her native land of Palestine. The information <laughs> is out there. We live in an information age. Um, there have been so many first black people, you know, Barack Obama was the first black president and, um, there's been so many first for blacks, you know, Jim Caldwell was the first mm -hmm. lions coach, coach. and yep. black, <laughs> black coach. coach. And, and, and when black people get to those positions, the first thing that is suggested is that they cannot represent all of what they lead. They can only represent their own subset within that group. Mm -hmm. And so the suggestion that there are some black politicians and black people in our community who say, well, she's standing up for Palestinians. We need somebody to focus on us. Yeah. She's not focusing on the needs of people in Detroit. And they're uh, basing that on her identity, not on her record. Not on her record. If you look at her record, her record is aimed squarely at what's happening inside this community. When she talks about credit scoring and um and car insurance and facial recognition and technology facial, what black person is not impacted by that mm. when she talks about the environmental health issues inside of our community that's impacting black people directly when she had that hearing congressional hearing on housing in our community that was all about what was impacting she had a summit here in detroit a, summit, a couple of weeks ago yeah 
and well, it was also a congressional hearing. And so hearing, yes. there was there, and and you know she talked about black home ownership and how can we help increase black home ownership. Those are black issues spoken by a woman who, of Palestinian descent, who was born and raised in the United States in Detroit. And who went um, to Detroit went public to schools, Detroit public schools, had black teachers, black teachers, and black you. friends, and all of that. And so, the idea that somehow she has to qualify her identity by proving that Palestinians are oppressed—if you don't know the Palestinian people um, are being oppressed—then how can she help you? It just seems like this is something that uh, some folks are just tacking on. Um, and I and I'm wondering I'm wondering why like what's 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 really the issue with her? I saw a piece in the Michigan Chronicle um, that was uh, criticizing uh, Representative Tlaib. Um, oh, who wrote that article? Uh, Reverend Jim Holly. Reverend the, Jim Holly. Yeah. Republican little, Reverend Jim Holly. Reverend Jim Holly wrote a uh, a piece. It does, does did, I'm sorry. Did Jim Holly support? Any of the Democrats who are running for um, the the Congress from Detroit, he he typically re- supports um, on the more conservative who side. Who did he support for governor? Uh, Bill Schuette. Who was Bill Schuette running against? He was running against our current governor Gretchen Whitmer. I mean, was Bill Schuette the Republican Trumpian Republican? So, you know, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I don't, and, and I understand that it's not politically correct to come a, after a pastor and disagree with a pastor, <laughs> but I'm tired we can of disagree with black pastors. folks. I'm tired <laughs> of black folks um, thinking that they can support Donald Trump and Bill Schuette and then tell me what to think about anything. Um, but secondly, um, there, I mean, there's, there's a loss, okay? John Conyers had a historic seat. Yeah, he was the longest serving the longest member. serving member. He was one of the first black congressmen. He's an icon. He's, He's an, icon. an icon. And the seat that he occupied is no longer occupied by a black man. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, that's a loss. That's problematic. That's problematic, and it really would not matter what she did while in office. Because and so she is, is that not black. The, that's the issue that nobody wants to outright say, but tackle on things like. Oh, she has a black problem and she needs to educate black people on the Palestinian crisis. And it's certainly true that black people have a unique history in the United States of America. And it's certainly true that black Americans have been denied the right to vote, the right to read, every kind of right. And Mm -hmm. so a black man ascending to that role or even a black woman ascending to that role is something we're all still proud of. Yes. She is the first Palestinian to ever be voted into Congress. Mm -hmm. And the and second Muslim, Muslim, second Muslim woman, woman, she was voted in with Ilhan Omar. They were the second yes. following Keith Ellison, who was from Detroit. Yeah. Muslim people representing um, in Congress, period. And yeah. they are subjected to death threats. They are subjected to so much. Can I just hostility? tell you that when we interviewed Representative, T- Representative Tlaib here on Authentically Detroit a few weeks ago, um, I was not prepared for the death threats, uh, um, the hate mail, and everything that she and we, um, as the host of this show, received just by interviewing her. Absolutely. It is absolutely insane. And so if, and that was just one episode that we did, and it, and the, the, the hate mail and all of the cyberbullying lasted for a, for a couple of weeks. I can't imagine what it's like being 
a part of that camp every single day having to deal with uh the the the, the amount of threats and hate mail that uh comes from all kinds of people it was it was shocking to me absolutely it was shocking i mean she is a double minority yeah if not a triple minority and so when you look at the fact that she is a woman that she's palestinian that she's muslim um, and she's in Congress right now at a time where um, women's rights are being threatened every day. Um, people don't necessarily like women in leadership roles in our Congress, although we pretend like it doesn't matter. But if the squad were men, I doubt they'd be treated exactly the mm-hmm. same as they are as women. And the kind of racism that Trump is spewing her way is just is just really uncanny. But what what is what is shocking to me is. Um, People in power here in the city of Detroit, black folks and white folks alike in power here in the city of Detroit have been virtually silent. I have not heard anybody in power. Um, I'm going to say this. And um, the Eastside Community Network Board of Directors on Thursday Mm -hmm. um, passed a resolution to send her a letter of support that will be going to her this evening. Oh, that's amazing. I have to write it. Thank you, ECM Board. ECM Board (laughs) is um, strongly supporting our congresswoman. Mm -hmm. We appreciate the leadership that she brings. You heard it here first. The board of directors of Eastside Community Network voted to support her right to visit her homeland, to visit Mm -hmm. her grandmother unrestricted Mm -hmm. with her speech right to free speech intact. Mm Nobody should be denied the right to free speech, certainly not our representative. And she represents Detroit. And she's in Detroit. Whether and so, you like it or not, she you like it or not. is the congresswoman from Detroit, one of two from Detroit. And we owe her that respect. And if she was not fighting for us and if she was not doing the things that she's doing, um, I would have a problem with any congressperson not fighting for us. But mm-hmm. what I say is line up her record against anybody that's in Congress right now. And I'm looking at it. And see if she's on the right side of the issues. And if she is, quit talking about her. Mm-hmm. And don't blame her for news distortions because we know how the news media works. Right. The news media works in a way where the story that gets repeated over and over is impeach that MFR. Mm-hmm. And people are really offended that she used that word. Mm-hmm. We had a mayor we still love who used that every other oh, sentence. Let's die. It was cool though when it was a black man using MF for this, MF for that. But when a <laughs> woman does it, suddenly there's an issue. And I think that there is a level of sexism that goes with that because she does not fulfill um, a standard woman's role. She's a little bit aggressive for some men. Mm-hmm. She's outspoken She's for outspoken. some men. They yep. want her to behave in a more seemly way. Mm-hmm. And all of that is, you know, kind of misogynistic when you get down to it because men can be all they can be and women are expected to rein themselves in mm-hmm. so often. And then when you add that to her being a religious minority and when you add that to her being Palestinian and a non establishment candidate, non establishment candidate, and you add that to the internal conflict that's happening in our community right now between many Arab people and black people, you have a lot of um, problems here. But we have got to treat people like we want to be treated as a race. When the first of us gets out there, we have the they have the right to um, support their own heritage. You don't have to hide it, but you also don't have to explain it. Black people should not have to go into white workplaces and explain blackness and explain racism to white people to be treated well. And Palestinian Americans should not have to explain oppression 
of their people to be treated well. Yeah. I want to just read an excerpt uh, from Greg's, Greg's article. He really did um, a nice job of, of uh, just describing um, her role in Washington and her popularity here at home. The upside for her so far is that battles in Washington and beyond haven't hurt her back home, with polls showing her popularity popularity soaring despite or possibly because of president trump's harsh words about her blacks like to see her standing up against a man black people can relate to oppression and discrimination like nobody else and so um i here here my issue um with with uh greg's op-ed, and we know greg and greg is a colleague of ours is i'm really i'm really just not feeling the headline i'm not, i'm just the, the headline is what what did me in only because we are a headline reading generation we read a headline we may we and we may read a sentence or two but folks aren't spending uh more than two three minutes on an article and i think that headline incites something in people or insinuates that she has a black problem when every time I see her out in her district at town halls, at her office hours and her neighborhood service centers, uh, she's interfacing uh, with the district that is majority black and doing it in a, in a, in a decent and equitable and humane way and people have respect and love for her. I see it. Yeah, I mean, when and she so, came to her annual meeting, yeah. not only did she come to her annual meeting, she spoke directly to people. Yeah. People loved her. They stood up and just praised her and they stayed. And she I stayed to the she end. Stayed to, she, <laughs> the she last stayed, one left. She was the last one there. <laughs> I guess I love Greg Bowens. And I know his yeah. heart was in a good place, but when he says it would be wise for her to leave to connect the dots with the struggles in Detroit, Palestine and Israel so she can still help the Palestinian cause while reassuring her constituents in Detroit that she's got their best interests at heart. Yes, she's a congresswoman representing the U.S., but she's also representing Detroit. Although I believe in a lot of what he said, yeah, I feel too. as though the burden that he imposes on her is unfair. Is unfair. Yeah. I think it's unfair and I think it's unrealistic. And I think that believing that people who are fighting her don't understand what's happening in Palestine and don't understand that there's oppression there. Um, these are really intelligent people who, for whatever reason, want one of their own in office. Mm. And if she highlights her Palestinian and tries to draw those connections, I've never seen black people respond well when gay people say, well, you, you understand oppression. Or when women say, hey, you understand oppression. When other groups talk about oppression, um, and try to compare to the historical black oppression. I mm -hmm. don't see that turning out well too often. Yeah. In fact, right now we have this whole American descendants of slavery. Our black of where, where <laughs> black people who are you know native born from America are fighting people in Jamaica and Dominican Republic and in. Um, our, our American Africa. black oppression is exclusive. Is, you, 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 <laughs> you didn't have our oppression, therefore you don't understand. So I don't see that being a very productive conversation. I think if people want to know, I'm certain they can ask her. But when people want to understand black racism, I usually try to tell them to read mm -hmm. a book. And, um, <laughs> you know, and I have a, a bibliography I can give them. And mm -hmm. maybe we can just it encourage people resources. to learn on their own. And this is what the role of an ally is. An ally exists to help educate others. Yeah. When I'm in the workplace, if I'm being subjected to racism, I don't want to have to fight that battle. Can my allies stand up? We have other people, members of Congress in the city of Detroit, 
who know exactly what's happening in the state of Michigan, who know exactly what's happening. Are they talking to their constituents and drawing those parallels or is that her sole responsibility? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, th- thanks for thanks for the thought piece, Greg. It was it, it was it was a well done piece. I, I'll give that to him. It, I, was. it was. It was it really was. well done. And it's a great uh, discussion topic. Um, Donna, is Detroit ready for a black woman to be mayor? <laughs> well, no. When Detroit woman is voted into mayor, <laughs> that Detroit is ready. Um, Sherry McPhail got closer than any other woman. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, you know, 20 after how years many ago. tries? Well, the first time. The first time. The first time when she ran against um, Dennis Archer. Yeah. She okay. was closer then than she ever got afterwards. Yeah. It was a real tussle between the two of them. Um, she started being a little bizarre after that, but <laughs> um, a lot of things, you know, the electric and electric chair. Um, but, <laughs> but I think that the real question is whether or not men in our community and women in our community really believe that women can lead um, equally to men. Um, some people have posed this on Facebook, and a lot of people say they're ready. And there are a few names that are being bandied about. And then you read some people who are making some pretty regressive comments. So I think that um, it'll be interesting to see who emerges Um if yeah. there is a real challenge to Mayor Duggan in this next go round, if if yeah, if someone decides to challenge him, and I don't think anyone has declared um, that they're running for mayor of Detroit against uh, Mayor Duggan um, just yet, I just want to highlight um, out of you know 100 of the largest cities um, in America, there are at least 10 uh, black women running major cities. Uh, Muriel Bowser. Um, in D.C., Sharon Weston Broom in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, Vi Lyles in Charlotte, Keisha Lance Bottoms, who we all know um, in ATL, Latoya Cantrell in uh, New Orleans, uh, London Breed in San Fran, and Lori Lightfoot, who uh, recently defeated um, one of the legacy dailies in Chicago, um, is mayor of Chicago. And, you know, here we are in Detroit, um, now the largest um majority black city in America. Um, and it's, it's just funny to me that we have to ask ourselves um, this question. Well, look at Lori Lightfoot. Yeah. When people, she came to power, a lot of people kind of looked at her as being kind of neoliberal. Yeah. Um, she um, was not looked at as necessarily being a great activist. Mm-hmm. Um, and since she's been in Chicago, what has she done? She's um, Hire Maurice cho- Cox. She, well, she can... <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> congratulations that was very brilliant of her but in addition to that hire she put a moratorium on water shutoffs she sure in did. Um, the city of Chicago she and I sure thought that did. was pretty strong and yeah. she's done a few other things um, I wonder if a woman in the mayor's office would approach some of the bread and butter issues differently just because mm. women who are mothers and women who um our caretakers might look at um, certain roles in the community differently, certainly mm. might be able to see the needs and the struggles of senior women who comprise a large portion of our electorate mm-hmm. in ways that some of the male candidates have not. Mm. Um, and that's not to say that all women are the same. Yeah. Um, but I think it would be interesting to look at a different style of leadership in our city And I think it's going to be interesting for us to track. I don't know if we've done a very good job really evaluating the impact of having women mayors in these other cities. And I I, I think we should. I think we should begin um, look tracking it from really just a data 
a data perspective as well as um, anecdotal. We, I want to know uh, from people who live there in these cities um, what the what the local reception is. I know that my cousin is down at Clark Atlanta. Uh, she was there when uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms was elected, and it was a really exciting time um, in ATL um, when that happened. So it. You know, for a lot of black women, we feel like it's our time. Yeah, we are the most reliable Democratic voters. Oh, all of these black women that I named are Democrats. Right. <laughs> yeah, we are. But and we are the most reliable Democratic voters. We um, come a lot of times with a whole lot of passion and a whole lot of experience. We are many times very well educated and capable leaders. Mm-hmm. And um, we live in a community sometimes in Detroit that appears from some standpoints to be very male-dominated in terms of political leadership. Mm. If you look at who are the significant female leaders, we have two now. We have one over um, public health and we have one over workforce development, but most of the leaders in the city of Detroit tend to be men, or is that just in my eyes? Hmm. Mm. You're not not wrong. In our city government, that seems to be um, the comfort level, and it was like that before now. It's in our mayor's office, is that what you're saying? In because we have a council office. president who's a black woman and a, pro t- a yes, council I'm president pro tem is a black the mayor's woman. Okay, office gotcha. In the executive branch. Okay, gotcha. Um, and we have never had more than we have not had more than one serious challenger for the mayor's job in the city of Detroit. Um, and I, I, I just think that really, when you don't have that, what that speaks to is some level of a lack of grassroots mm-hmm. support. Mm-hmm. And maybe mm-hmm. I'm mistaken. Maybe I, I think I think it's good for uh, incumbents to be challenged. It keeps them on their p's and q's. It's all I think, and I think incumbents welcome challengers. And so uh, it would it would really be interesting if a stronger strong contender in the person of a black woman. Uh, challenges our uh, incumbent um, in the next uh, mayoral election here in the city of Detroit, which is fastly approaching and be here before you know right. it. Well, so. I mean, you know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Yeah. And when power is not challenged, yeah. then it is absolute. Yeah. And so I agree with you that um, it's always a good idea to have new people enter in. And yes. I think it's always good to have a pipeline of talent because none of us is going to last forever. Let's talk about and this. And so who is going to come behind those who are in office right now? And who's facilitating that? Who, Who's nurturing up-and-coming talent and getting folks ready for that that big stage? And I mean, I think that's supposed to be the 13th and 14th precinct, but I don't know if they function in that level. Mm-hmm. I think it's supposed to be your local democratic organization that mm-hmm. is structured in that way, yeah. but it's not what I see. Yeah, so we're going to have to do it ourselves. Yes. So listen, if you have topics that you want discussed on Authentically Detroit, you can hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at authentically detroit or email us at authentically detroit at gmail.com oh what an episode today i'm happy this is this 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 was uh some really good discussion any shout outs and stuff you got coming up you want to talk about um where we end oh nothing really right now um we do have something at the hamilton rainscape we have a project that's going on right now at the hamilton rainscape yeah it is collaborations and sustainability i believe Mm -hmm. and that's taking place now yeah and um so i'm excited about that that we are the hamilton rainscape is being used so beautifully it is i i conducted uh, a tour earlier today there um 
just just amazing. Just Our amazing. sustainability fellows are doing their thing, and yeah. I'm excited about that. Yeah. Can you talk? Can you let the folks know what that is just a little bit? I know we explained it, but explain it again, Donna. It's so well, sweet what we're doing. What we're really doing is um, this exciting thing. I was reading something about leadership today, and they say that great leaders um, don't produce followers. They produce leaders. Nice. And so... Our organization, Eastside Community Network, has always helped produce leaders. Yeah. And through the Sustainability Fellowship, what we're doing is we're producing leaders in sustainability, helping people to take all of the information around what's going on with climate change and what's happening with water and building the capacity of folks inside the neighborhood to understand and translate that to their friends and neighbors so that we're building a movement around sustainability. Nice. When you have any of the issues we're facing, whether it's the water issue or the shutoffs or the heat island effects because there are no trees in some neighborhoods. Yeah. Or get this, in 4213, 4214, and 4215, you have more asthma hospitalizations right. than anywhere in the city of Detroit. And yet we are not actively addressing air quality concerns in the way that we should. So the yeah. sustainability fellows are going to learn about this, work collaboratively to come up with some project ideas, take the information back again to the constituencies that they serve. And these are all people who are leading grassroots organizations. Mm -hmm. And then each of them will receive a $5,000 um, grant to for a project, a project nice. of their choice. So, so cool. we're really excited about yeah. it. A great group of leaders. 13 Again, fellows? Um, there are actually 14, 14 right fellows. Now, yeah. Um, of whom we are able to provide stipends to 11. Yeah. We're still trying to raise money for the other three. But um, I'm we'll just excited that they are showing up and showing out. And I know great things are going to happen on the east side. Yeah. So shout out to our uh, community organizing and planning team at ECN who's implementing the Leap Sustainability Fellowship. We see you, uh, Angela and Savannah, over at ECN. Listen, uh, uh, Detroit District 4 Councilman Andres Five Endorse of Success Foundation presents a free event, the 6th Annual Family Fund Day and Community Health Fair. That's happening Saturday, August 24th at the beautiful Chandler Park from 12 to 4 p.m. It's going to be fun. Free school supplies, food giveaways. DJ Fingers is going to be there. Some of the Detroit Pistons alums. Bounce houses. Uh, uh, last year they had reptiles in the petting zoo. They running around ost ostriches and all of that stuff. Flu shots, immunizations, HIV testing. Just a, a ton of uh, cool and fun stuff. ECN will be there. I'll be there. Come check me out. I'll be there manning an ECN table uh, this uh, Saturday. Raffles for a 40-inch TV, bike, and more. So you want to make sure you check that out. We also want to shout out our partners at Mac Alive. So also happening on August 24th, it is the 28th Parade and Rally uh, theme, Do the Right Thing. The Grand Marshal um, for the parade is our legendary Willie Horton. So it's going to be a battle of vans, health screenings, and free food, haircuts, entertainment, and more. Mac Alive is sponsoring that. The parade starts at uh, Mac and St. Jean to Mac and East Grand Boulevard, and a rally is going to be held in the Genesis Lutheran parking lot at 8300 Mac Avenue. And uh, the day before that, 
on August 23rd, Mac Alive is doing their eighth annual Praise in the Park uh, theme still standing. So you want to be sure to check that out at their headquarters at 3746 Fisher on Detroit's east side. So we just want to make sure that we pay homage and honor to uh, the legendary um, advocate and fierce uh, fighter for Eastsiders, uh, Alberta, Alberta Tinsley Talabi. Thank you for all that you do. Uh, and I got some ECN news, Donna. Oh, what is it? You're invited. So September 27, 2019, we are having our annual East Side Extravaganza thing, building bridges for 35 years. It's, it's going to be good. Oh, it's going to be at the Rooster Tail, so you know it's going to be and good. Larry Lee and the All-Stars. Funk. Oh, yes. and the back in the day, band. Back listen, the day. listen. There's nobody that can get a party started better than Larry Lee in a back-in-the-day band. You hear me? 6 to 11, Friday, September 27th, we're going to be at the Rooster's Tale. We got dancing. We're going to have a cash bar. We're going to have auction. Uh, the food is always good. It's going to be hosted by WDIV Local Force on Andrew Humphrey. He's been our host, I think, for the last five years. Five years and he no, three three or it's been three 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 years and he does an amazing job and he's an East Sider and he's an advocate for the East Side. Listen, uh, grab your tickets today. You can get them at ECN Detroit um, at ECN Detroit.org or at Eventbrite.com. Just keyword search East Side Extravaganza. Uh, registration for the event right now is only at $105. It's going to go up in a couple of weeks, so you may want to uh, go ahead and get your tickets. I'm excited. Uh, Fiat Chrysler uh, is our presenting sponsor, and we want to make sure that we give them a shout-out. Um, and speaking of extravaganza, do you love the East Side, Donna? I do. Do you love the East Side? I love the East Side. I love the East Side, yeah. too. So most outstanding on the East Side. We have um, uh, Mo Better Awards that we give out at the East Side Extravaganza. And we want to honor the best East Side restaurant, the best East Side block club and neighborhood group, the best East Side fun spot, the best East Side small business, and the best employer of East Side residents. You can submit your nominations today. We have paper nomination forms at the ECN office. Offices, and we have a survey that's been floating around all social media platforms and on our website for you to check out. Listen, Mo Better nominations close August 31st, so get them in ASAP. And uh, just a last bit of news and shout out. Uh, we have a ride share at ECN that is really, really cool. So transportation for any senior citizens. Uh, or individuals within uh, with disabilities. It's a door-to-door -door transportation service. Uh, $2.50 $2 for a ride. Um, if you're going more than 15 miles, it's slightly higher. I think, it, it, what is it, 50 cent per mile or something like that. It's super, it's super cheap. Um, appointments begin at 7 a.m. and the final trip is at 4 p.m. Here's who I want you to call. You can call uh, ECN at 571-2800 to get your ride scheduled today. We don't care where you got to go. You got to go to the grocery store. You got to go to the doctor's office. We'll come get you and we'll take you. 571-2800. And if you wanted more information about the Eastside Extravaganza, you can call 571-2800. Shout out to uh, Kwaku, who is the mastermind behind Detroit Black Restaurant Week happening this week. So be sure to check out some uh, Black-owned establishments uh, this week. Um, some young people in the city of Detroit have the, some of the dopest ideas and uh, great spirit. So thank you for implementing that. I think this was the third year for Detroit Black Restaurant Week, and I am sure going to check out some spots 
to with our fellow Eastsider, Kwaku. Uh, so shout out to them. Any more shout outs you got, Donna? That's it. All right. So uh, this wraps up another episode of Authentically Detroit. We hope to see you next time. Have a good one.